Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Rudy Giuliani Show. Well, Andrew Giuliani, again today for a third day in a row, filling in for America's mayor. I actually just about 10 minutes got off the phone with my father, with America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, who promised that he will be back tomorrow. And he's looking forward to joining you again tomorrow, especially after a few more days of this war, this terrible, terrible defensive measures, let's call it, in Gaza. Now we know that there are... 1,600 Israelis dead, 27 Americans have perished, dozens more Americans being held hostage, hundreds and hundreds of Israelis held hostage. And one of the things I was, as a matter of fact, I had a breakfast this morning at Trump Bedminster at Trump's golf course in New Jersey. Uh, He's not there, but uh, that's where he ends up staying when he is in the tri-state area, normally for the summer months. He's back down in uh, Mar-a-Lago now. Uh, But as I was driving back in, and found out that I was going to be hosting the show today. I listened to, between listening to uh, Curtis Lee on WABC, I tuned into Anthony Blinken's press conference. And I thought he struck a lot of the right tones for most of that time. But I kept on thinking back to the fact that Blinken's initial reaction, what we saw, his initial reaction being that. He thought that there should be an immediate ceasefire. We're talking about Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, which really means whenever you see ceasefire, what it means is Israel does not have the right to go into Gaza in this particular situation to defend themselves. These are defensive measures that they are taking because they need to root out Hamas and they need to make sure that there are not going to be follow up attacks. That also had some very interesting things to say about tomorrow's global day of jihad. So you want to hear that message from America's mayor. So maybe we'll hold that for the mayor's final thoughts, because I think that would be very appropriate, considering it comes from America's mayor and a guy who, while I'm biased, I think is the uh, was the greatest mayor, not just in the history of New York City, but uh, of our country. And the numbers don't lie there. I may be biased, but the numbers don't lie. But getting back to Blinken, uh, I thought he did strike some of the right tones there uh let's go to cut let's go to cut 10 on blinken cut 10 i'm standing here today alongside our israeli friends and all those who reject terror to help find the glimmers of light even in this moment of deep darkness and to make clear that as long as there's the united states israel will never be alone Okay, so that's probably what he should have said Saturday night, right? That's instead of the ceasefire, which was we don't believe that Israel Israel basically should take defensive measures by going and this counteroffensive in Gaza. He should have said that, saying the right thing. Now, whether he backs it up or not, I don't know. This was very poignant. Let's go to cut eleven on Blinken. So uh, we did see uh, photographs, videos that the uh, Israeli government shared with us. Uh, some I think has actually already been seen uh, in um, uh, 
public media. Uh, others were, were new to me, and I think uh, new to our team. Uh, it's hard to find the right words. It's beyond what anyone would ever want to imagine, much less actually see and, God forbid, experience. A baby, an infant, riddled with bullets. Soldiers beheaded. Young people burned alive in their cars or in their hideaway rooms. I could go on, but it's simply depravity in the worst imaginable way. So that's somebody who obviously is really struck. I don't think he's acting there when he talks about this particular issue. Whatever political differences we may have, and trust me, we have vast political differences, especially when it comes to this issue, because I don't think this is his gut reaction. I don't think this is where the Secretary of State immediately goes with regards to Israel, and I'll talk about that here in a few short minutes. But the reason why that is important is if Israel is going to do this the right way and really root out the future threats to its Israeli citizens and to make sure something like this does not happen again, this is going to legitimately take time. It's going to take time to actually root out Hamas in these areas in Gaza because they have built up tunnels and it's going to be very difficult. It's not just going to be as easy as going in on a bombing campaign, which, by the way, also has its risks because you have civilians in there. We can talk about whether or not it's worth going on a bombing campaign where you know civilians are actually and what that means for the rest of the world and how quickly that ends up turning against you when you have an administration in Washington, D.C. that I would say while they're acting pro-Israel right now, certainly everything that they have done over this administration and over the Obama administration has been anti-Israel, which is giving Iran the opportunity, the assets to be able to fund groups like Hezbollah and Hamas. Now, let's go into where I think Anthony Blinken and the Biden administration really stand on this. Let's go into cut nine on the Secretary of State Blinken. With regard to the, uh, the $6 billion, first, uh, again, it's always worth repeating the facts because, unfortunately, the facts get lost along the way. Uh, the money that Iran accrued in bank accounts, in this case in, in South Korea, uh, for the sale of its oil, uh, was done pursuant to an arrangement established by the previous administration. Lie. The Trump administration. Lie. None of the funds that have now gone to Qatar have actually been spent or accessed in any way uh, by Iran. Indeed, funds from that account are overseen by the Treasury Department, can only be dispensed for humanitarian goods, food, medicine, medical equipment, and never touch Iranian hands. Um, we have strict oversight of the funds, and we retain the right to freeze them. Okay, first and foremost, when you free up funds from somebody in one area, guess what that means you can do with your other funds? You can ultimately use them as you see fit. 
And when you continuously talk all the time like Iran does, which is wiping out Jews off the face of the earth, guess what? That means supporting groups like Hamas and Hezbollah. That means giving them the assets necessary and the skills and planning along with them side by side, as we have seen reported time and time and time again, to do this offensive massacre in Israel. So I went back because I'm very, very proud of the four years that I spent in the Trump White House. Now, I did domestic policy, Office Public Liaison. We'll go into that another time. I was not involved in the foreign policy whatsoever. But I will say, I think some of President Trump's strongest accomplishments were on the foreign policy front. And one that I am most proud of are the sanctions and the retightening that he ended up doing on Iran after Obama ending up, ending up letting them off because of this absurd Iran deal. So I went to go look it up to see, hey, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was in living in some kind of a dream world in the four years that I was there. And Trump actually was buddies with Iran or something like that. Nope, nope, I was right on this. Because between 2018 and 2021, the Trump administration imposed not 15 sanctions, not 75 sanctions, not 150 sanctions, not even 700 sanctions, 15. 1,500 different sanctions on Iran. That basically ends up being a sanction a day if you end up doing the math on this. Or on other foreign companies or individuals who did business with Iran. They targeted big institutions such as the Supreme Leader's Office, the Revolutionary Guards, and the Central Bank, as well as powerful individuals. Among those sanctions were government and judicial offices members of the military, and proxy militias. Now, that's interesting. Proxy militias. You could classify Hezbollah and Hamas as a proxy militia, obviously a terrorist organization, but you could certainly classify them potentially as that. Scientists, right? That obviously had to do with nuclear proliferation. And manufacturers of military equipment. Military equipment that could actually have been bombed into southern Israel, like we have seen over the last, on Saturday, and like in northern Israel, like Hezbollah is doing right now. On top of the military equipment, everything we mentioned before, they also put it on banks and businesses, right? That's making sure that they do not have the assets, that these terrorist organizations do not have the assets on foundations, because we know that sometimes these foundations can be corrupt, and that's one way to be able to get money into these groups, and shipping and trading companies. The sanctions were obviously a key component of President Trump's maximum pressure campaign. The Trump administration, by the way, also took the unusual step of sanctioning Iran's banking and oil sectors for supporting the terrorist activities of the Revolutionary Guard and proxy forces. And of course they did end up sanctioning. We covered this yesterday in terms of the oil production. I do need to put a correction out there, though, because one of my friends from the Trump administration was listening to me, and he knew the numbers better than I did. I said that yesterday that before Trump came in, Iran was producing about 3.8 million barrels a day, and that went down in terms of exports. That went down to 2.1 million barrels during Trump. I was wrong. The actual real numbers were before Trump... Iran was producing 2.5 million barrels a day for export. 
And that number by 2020 went down to less than a half million barrels a day that they were exporting. Ask our expert, John Katsimatidis, at five o'clock at night. He knows what that actually means for a company, what that means for a country. And you can see that because of these sanctions, you saw massive inflation happen in Iran. You saw more and more Iranian citizens that were dissatisfied with the mullahs, with everything that was going on with internal politics in Iran. So just in case you think that the numbers that I'm giving you are not accurate, which they are 100% accurate, I'll put it on my social media, at Andrew H. Giuliani, I want to hear what President Trump had to say the day after he ended up killing one of the, you could say, most infamous generals in Iranian history, Soleimani. Let's hear cut 12 from from President Trump. As president, my highest and most solemn duty is the defense of our nation and its citizens. Last night at my direction, the United States military successfully executed a flawless precision strike that killed the number one terrorist anywhere in the world, Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel, but we caught him in the act and terminated him. Under my leadership, America's policy is unambiguous to terrorists who harm or intend to harm any American. We will find you. We will eliminate you. We will always protect our diplomats, service members, all Americans, and our allies. Dear terrorists, we will find you. We will eliminate you. Does that sound like somebody who's freeing up $6 billion to a terrorist-sponsored nation? Absolutely not. So, look, when we get back, we're going to continue to cover Israel. We're going to go into the NYPD's uh, plan for tomorrow's announced day of jihad, what we need to look out for, what we're going to do with that. Let's talk about the speaker's latest. And I want to get your calls. We're going to get to some of your calls. I know yesterday we were squeezed for time. We'll make sure we get to some of your calls in the second half of the show. So make sure you call in 1-800-848-9222. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, 
provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. The former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Andrew Giuliani in for America's mayor today. And as I was walking the halls of WABC, and I know we are national here, but this is where we're broadcasting, um, I saw Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, who I have known for a very, very long time, and he has his own show on WABC, The Rev and the Rabbi, at 7 a.m. from every Sunday from 7 to 8 o'clock. And Rabbi, really, I wanted to pull you in here for a couple minutes because I want to hear what you've been hearing from your community over the last few days. I can't imagine the, the feelings. That Firstly, Andrew, let me say to you, thank you. Your father, thank you, because consistently you have stood with the people of Israel, uh, not only during the latest crisis, but throughout the years, because there have been so many. But this is different. Uh, this is sheer barbarism on a level we've never seen, unimaginable uh, destruction of human life, beheading of children. You know, someone said... Beheading of children is not a political movement. Uh, Raping women is not a resistance movement. So this is something that we've never witnessed. I'm a child of Holocaust survivors. I heard stories of the horrors there, uh, but here I actually see the horrors there. We now have an expression in Hebrew, yesh ein milim, which means there are no words. And I met a family just the other day whose son has been kidnapped, and they looked at me and they said, ein milim, there are no words. So we don't ask each other, how are you feeling? Because there are no words to describe the depth of the pain. It's inconsolable. But we're a determined people. Uh, The word nevertheless has been part of our vocabulary. So no matter what they try to do, nevertheless, we are not going to back off. You know, Andrew, we often say at Passover, in every generation there are those who seek to destroy us. Uh, I think we have to add to that. And we now need to destroy them. Yeah. This has to be the final chapter for Hamas so they don't come back and do it again. Not only against Israel, but you know that hatred uh, is pervasive. They hate Jews. They hate Christians. They hate America. They hate Israel. So this is a battle for all of us. Rabbi, quickly, and I know this is something that's going to take a much longer discussion. What does that look like in terms of rooting out Hamas and really eliminating them? Look, you see 300,000 Israeli soldiers now have... Uh, planned a, a siege around Gaza. It's going to take a ground invasion. I was just on the phone before I saw you with a friend who's in Israel whose son was called up. He's down uh, there at Gaza. Uh, it's it's going to create a lot of casualties, but once and for all, uh, the people of Israel are determined to eradicate this disease from our midst. Yeah. Well, 30 seconds before we have to go to break here, Rabbi. Uh, tomorrow, they're calling for a national day of jihad. What have you heard? I know you're very plugged in. I was listening to the FBI. No NYPD is giving a briefing later today. There is no credible threat. However, all of us have to be vigilant. All of us have to uh, be very, very concerned with what could happen and therefore be on guard. Uh, it is so despicable that anyone would seek to destroy human life here What we've seen here says to us there's no defense. Uh, There's no defensible explanation for what they did. Uh, 
And I think we as a community have come together like never before. And thank you to the Christian community for standing with us at this time. Well, Rabbi, your words is so many times hit the heart and hit the mark. And so thank you very much for your service to our city. And, and uh, we love you and we love our we love our Jewish brothers and, and we stand with our people of Israel. Now. We appreciate you. Of course. Come right back. Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. So we, before we get to your calls, and uh, feel free to call in 1-800-848-9222. I got the number right there, guys, right? 800-848-9222 to the Rudy Giuliani Show. Andrew Giuliani sitting in for America's mayor today. Don't worry. America's mayor will be back. He'll really be back next segment for you because he gave me a message. Today, it will be... The mayor's final thoughts, truly, because he gave me a message to give to you before tomorrow's day of jihad in terms of what the NYPD, what they mean, not just to him, but to the city of New York and really to the country and uh, the Western world. Uh, But I want to get back here to Israel and something that I've noticed, some silence that has been deafening, if you will. You know, I thought today as I was driving in from Trump Bedminster, where is the Soros family on all? You know, you'd expect somebody as powerful as George Soros and his son Alex to make a very pro-Israel statement very early on. After all, they are the number one funder of Democrats, uh, and you would expect them to come on out very clearly if they, in fact, were very pro-Israel at this point. Um, And... You could also see that if they were pretty silent on the issue or didn't say anything on the issue, how that would be uh, that would be a pretty clear message to the people that are receiving donations from them that don't worry, you don't need to take a stand on this issue. We're still going to support you. We're still going to send our millions and millions of dollars to your super PACs and you don't have to take a stand because we want to take a stand on pro Black Lives Matter stuff. Even though they've donated millions and millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter, which has continued to support these Hamas terrorists. We covered yesterday Black Lives Matter in Chicago, actually on their Twitter feed, putting out a paratrooper. Now, these paratroopers that came in, they slaughtered Israelis on Saturday. They had the gall. They were so desensitized to this that they decided to put a paratrooper on their feed saying, we stand with Palestine. We blame Israel for these atrocities. This is Israel. They had it coming to them. So where is the Soros family on all this? George Soros has said absolutely nothing. He has not said a single word about this at all. And I looked and I said, okay, well, where's Alex Soros on this? couple of different retweets, no statements whatsoever on Israel at all from himself, from open society, from what I could tell. Maybe open society has. I haven't taken a look there, but I can tell that George and Alex have not retweeted anything from open society. He's only retweeted something from uh, Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, basically not blaming Republicans for this, but saying that Republicans need to get their Middle East confirmations in there through the Senate. We know that Tuberville has been holding that back because of the DOD and some of their absurd ideas. Um, 
But he ended up retweeting something from J Street, which I believe is a lobbying firm in Washington, D.C., which at the statement is very, very nice until you get to the very end where it ends up having some one-aboutism and says, and preventing a slide into even further conflagration and suffering for Israelis and Palestinians. So that's the whataboutism. That's the ceasefire stuff that we talked about. That's the equating what Israelis being murdered to what Palestinians are going through, which most of those that are Palestinian, of Palestinian descent in Gaza, they are being oppressed, as we said before, not by Israel, by Hamas, by Hamas terrorists. Same, same things with, with Hezbollah, right? But until, until you, are end up, you are able to weed out Hamas and Hezbollah out of these groups in Gaza, in Lebanon, then you are asking for something like this to happen again. So the fact that the Soros family is silent on this, I think sends a very clear message to uh, those that are uh, receiving their funds. Send a clear message to the elected officials that have uh, been sponsored by the Soros family. Don't worry. Don't take a stand on this. We're still going to make sure that we end up supporting you, and we'll make sure that our organizations are communist-based organizations that are continually degrading our cities that support district attorneys that do not enforce the law. We're going to say something about that, but we're not going to say anything about Israel. The silence is deafening in this. And by the way, one other thing about Trump calling Hezbollah smart, and I've seen that even the New York Post had a crazy headline on this saying, you know, they basically made it like Trump was uh, was complimenting Hezbollah, calling them smart. I've been around Trump many times where he's referred to both Putin and President Xi as smart, as evil and smart, right? Saying that somebody is smart when they are an enemy is not complimenting them. What it is, is it's telling Americans, it's telling us Wait a second. This guy is not dumb. Do not underestimate this person, this vicious person, this human being, right? Because guess what? If Putin was not considered smart, evil, smart, an evil genius, as they say, if Xi was not smart, they would not be in that position. That's just the truth about it. So the fact that they try to go after Trump, I know Greg Kelly mentioned something about this a little earlier, too, but the fact they try to go after Trump because he's saying that Hezbollah was smart in this case doing this, it's completely missing the point that he's doing. And I know that sometimes we like to take things in a vacuum and DeSantis ended up railing on it, but you miss the complete point. And the reason why American foreign policy was so successful under Donald Trump, sorry, was so successful under Donald Trump, was because he did not underestimate the Putins of the world. He did not underestimate the Xi's of the world. He did not underestimate the Kim Jong-uns. He did not underestimate Iran. He didn't underestimate these terrorist groups. He knew what they were. And he made sure that America was as focused, not on the public affairs response to them, but on making sure that Americans and their allies were safe. 
So if you want to try to pick in a vacuum and say Trump is complimenting them, you're wrong. That's just not the truth. Guess what? There are probably people that ended up, you could classify them as smart, that have a high IQ. And they can be some of the most evil people in the world. Because if you think that they're dumb and you're going to underestimate them, maybe that's the failure of the Biden-Obama administrations over the last 12 years, 14 years. Take Trump out of there, right? Maybe that's the failure. Maybe they are underestimating. Maybe they are believing their PR spin on that. Don't underestimate these people. That's what he's telling you. And he didn't underestimate these people. And how did it work? How did it work for the United States of America? How did it work for Israel? So I want to get to some calls. Let's go to Sal in Staten Island. Sal? Andrew Paisano, it's always good to hear your voice. Good to hear you, too. I'm going to hit your rapid fire like I do to your father. I hope you're sitting down the safety belt on. (laughs) Please. Papa Bear. First of all, it is not, and this is, everyone in the free world should hear my words. That is an American Marine who's seen the horrors of war. Thank you, Sal. Thank you for your service. Go ahead. It is not a coincidence that this horror by these animals of Palestinians happened on the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur War yep. 73, the 75th anniversary of Israel, the olive tree being reborn, and the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. So let me tell you something, Andrew. Strapping young men of military age in Staten Island, and they're going to put these, the idiots are going to put them on Fort Wadsworth, the oldest U.S. active base. They are sleeper cells. They're waiting for orders. In Staten Island? You're saying in Staten Island there are sleeper cells, Sal? Sleeper cells. They're scrapping young men. And if they're here for getting away from oppression, where are their wives and children? They're leaving their children and wives behind. Everyone knows that a man shows up with his wife and children. He has more of a chance of getting into a nice place and a job and a green card. The bottom line is they are sleeper cells. They are waiting. Sal, I want to be clear. Are you claiming that some of the migrants that have come in over the last two and a half years that are now in Staten Island, as you talked about, they're actually sleeper cells? I just want to be clear in what you're saying here. Absolutely. Happened to Israel on God help Israel, God Christ Jesus, protect Israel. But the bottom line is that we're next. Well, look, we are next. Sal, look, thank you for the call. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we haven't talked about a lot this week. I've heard people mention it, but at some point we need to start getting back to, which is our border security over the last two and a half years. When you talk about the over six million people that have come into the United States of America, no way that America can even account for, you know, uh, 10 to 15 percent of that. What does that end up meaning? When you end up calling for a global day of jihad like tomorrow, how can our law enforcement organizations have the oversight necessary to actually uh, to actually protect us? That's a very, very good question. Let's go to Alan on line five talking about the day of jihad tomorrow. Go ahead, Alan. Mr. Giuliani, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, I think we have to explain more clearly to the world what this means when the Muslims call for a jihad. Go ahead. I mean, this could be life-threatening to the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I don't hear anybody saying, any government saying, well, if they step out of line, we're ready. We're we're ready to protect the world. We're ready to protect our country. We're ready to protect our people. I don't hear a word of that at all. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you're seeing a little bit more kind of ignorance from the federal government on this. I haven't seen much. I've seen the, uh, and we'll talk about this in the mayor's final thoughts, I've seen some of the uh, deputy commissioners on this. I haven't seen the police commissioner talk about this. I'm not sure if Adams, I think Adams has mentioned some stuff on this. I was out this this morning. Actually, he did mention something on it. But look, I, I think you're right. I think you need to make send a very clear message from the White House on this, which is if we see anybody step out of line tomorrow, that's it. You know, we are tomorrow. People behave. There's not going to be any uprisings tomorrow. We are not going to tolerate this. So it's a good point. Robert in line four in Brooklyn. Uh, go ahead, Robert. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, in around in 1993, you had Oslo, basically, is that picture of Clinton and Yitzhak Rabin mm-hmm. and Yasser Arafat, the handshake. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was an attempt to have a, a peaceful, you know, a peaceful settlement. Uh, and it but Arafat played him. Every time, every time, you know, there, there would be, you know, Israelis would get killed. There'd be suicide bombings. And, you know, a lot of times Hamas was involved in it, you know, and, um, and the thing is, is that Israel was always told that they had to, you know, to be proportionate in their response and, you know, to be concerned about civilian mm-hmm. casualties. And, um, and you see, they never really fixed the problem. And it's, you know, they, they're going to have to, unfortunately, it seems they're going to have to be much more draconian. Mm-hmm. And I just want to remind everybody, you know, um, because what's happened so far hasn't worked out. I want to remind people that in 911, mm-hmm. you know, Dick Cheney, he was given that he was. He, they asked him that one of the planes were hijacked and it was heading to Washington D.C. They thought, and he was asked whether they, you know, the United States, they could shoot it down. Right. And he, Dick Cheney, vice president, gave permission. He ordered, gave permission to the, you know, the uh, military to shoot down that hijacked plane, even though there were innocent Americans on that plane, because that plane became a missile. That became became a missile mm-hmm. that was a danger to the United States. And unfortunately, it was Dick Cheney's opinion that there was nothing they can do other than shoot the plane down. Well, now, Israel's in a very difficult situation. It's a very, because uh, you, this is, you, there's a huge escalation that just took place. Yeah. And so, you know, how could they just, how could, you know, unfortunately, a lot of civilians might get unfortunately hurt. But the, the, the Hamas, and, they embed themselves with the civilians. And, and Robert, I'm sorry, we got to go to break here in, in a couple of seconds. So that's why I'm cutting you off. I think you made a lot of really good points in there. Uh, what I would say is this, Israel is in a very difficult situation in the sense that, you know, if Israel chooses to go and, you know, bomb the hell, let's say, out of Gaza, you know that there are going to be civilians uh, that are going to be casualties. And we're not talking about, you know, tens or hundreds of civilians. You're talking thousands and tens of thousands of civilians. Uh, and so this is these are the moral questions of war. Um, and you're right in terms of how long this is going to take. I mean, if you talk about a military operation and really rooting Gaza out, it's going to take a while to go door to door to door to tunnel to tunnel to tunnel. That's also a part of this as well, right? There are a lot of military tunnels that they're not using, Hamas is not using to shield uh, the people, the civilians that are there. They're using for their own military. That's what they're ultimately using for. And then on top of the, and I hate saying this word, but it really is true, the re-education of so many of these people that have been brainwashed by the propaganda that Hamas has pushed on them for decades and decades and decades that 
the Jewish people do not have a right to exist. So this is very complicated, and it's not just a matter of let's just drop two or three bombs and you solve the problem here because you don't solve the problem. You may create new problems, and uh, and it doesn't still answer the issues in terms of, okay, what do you do then with the next generation? Because this is something, and if you want to look at it right now, and I know it's so fresh, but you really need to look at, okay, what does this look like in 20 years, right? You're talking about thousands of thousands of years that the Israelites have basically been uh, – uh, this is this is a this is a territory that belongs to the Israelites over thousands and thousands of thousands of years where they originated from. Go back to Abraham and the Bible. Um, obviously, we can talk about the last 75, 80, 90 years uh, and that territory that is now Israel in terms of how it's been given back to Israel, how Israel deserves to have that homeland. That's a whole other theological discussion that probably, honestly, the rabbi is best for. Well, look, I'm late for my break over here, but we're going to come back with the mayor's final thoughts, and we'll take maybe another call coming back out the other side of the break. So you won't want to miss this. America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Well, as always, the mayor's final thoughts, whether they're given by Mayor Rudy Giuliani or by Andrew Giuliani, are sponsored by Tunnel the Towers Foundation. Donate eleven dollars a month at T the number T two T org. That's T the number two T org. So these directly come from the mayor. I spoke to him about fifteen minutes before going on, and I just said, "Is there anything you want to tell your audience before the announced day of jihad tomorrow?" As uh, there's probably nobody better, not just in New York but in the world, to be giving a message to you. And he wanted to remind you, first and foremost, that he'll be back tomorrow, so he'll be able to talk with you through this day. Uh, but he said to be very careful and to be very vigilant. And, uh, you know, if you see something, you say something. But what he did want to say also is, he said, whatever opinions you have on the state of the FBI, on policing now, ones that he does share with you, right? Obviously, he's been very clear about how he feels about the FBI and how they've been politicized. The Joint Counterterrorism Ter- Task Force, the Joint Counterterrorism Task Force here in New York is still the best in the world. You still have the best here in the United States of America. He said, with that, though, be vigilant. He's looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. I've really enjoyed being with you here. Um, I was actually just talking to uh, a good friend of mine, first grade detective, retired first grade detective, uh, Liz Rye here, and I think about all the amazing job that the NYPD did uh, after September 11th and making sure that New York wasn't the site of another terrorist attack. So uh, just be careful. Be vigilant. Make sure that you keep your eyes on a swivel. Uh, and that's kind of one of the, sadly, as we talked about before we went to break, one of the real scary things about having a poor southern border like this is we don't necessarily know who's come in and out. Uh, let's go to Rabbi Eli in on, late, on line eight, who's standing with Israel. Rabbi, go ahead. Yes, um, very different view than uh, George Soros and his uh, tithe. There are some Jews who are very anti-Jewish. R- Rabbi, I'm sorry to cut you off here. What do you think about Soros's silence here, considering we're now five days after this attack? George Soros is an extremely evil, evil, evil person, and uh, the hot place is not hot enough for someone as bad as him. 
He's extremely undermined, not only America, but he's undermined the Jewish people all time and again and again and again. And blood that's flowing in Israel at this moment is on his hands. I say that as an Orthodox rabbi who studies uh, Torah, studies Judaism my whole life. He is an extremely evil, evil, evil person. And the hot place is not hot enough for someone as bad as what, him. What do you, let me just ask you, Rabbi, what do you think motivates him? That, that's the thing that, to me, I, I just I have trouble fathoming and understanding, because I agree with you. I just try to understand his motivations, and I, I can never get there. Yeah, I can't get there either. Yeah. I can throw out a few other ideas about other Jews who support Hamas or things like that. I can throw a few ideas. In psychology, there's something called Stockholm Syndrome, mm-hmm. which basically, in the Jewish sense, it means that you know we've been through 4,000 years since Abraham. We've been going through anti-Semitism, and until the Messiah comes, it's not going away. And uh, the point is that um, there are some Jews who believe that by um, being anti-Jewish, they will somehow win favor with the anti-Semites. Unfortunately, we're people who worked for the Nazis and herded each other into the gas chambers. There are strong indications that George Soros... Ra- Rabbi, you, you nailed it. Andrew Giuliani, I've enjoyed being with you the last couple of days. Rudy Giuliani will be back tomorrow.